everyone and welcome to the Graduate Dentist Podcast, your go-to guide through real-world dentistry and a community amongst graduates. My name is Erica Huin and I'll be your host, your tooth bud, driving companion, late night study buddy, gym bro, you name it. Wherever it is you may be tuning in from, I got you. I'll be the new voice in the back of your head. For those who have come from social media, whether it be Instagram or Facebook, I'd like to say a big, big thank you for all your support of the journey so far and for the launch of The Graduate Dentist. I was honestly blown away and so taken aback by the response that we received and all the warmth and enthusiasm. So thank you again. It honestly means the world and I hope you enjoy everything that we make of this together. And for those who are stumbling upon this for the very first time, hello, hello, and welcome to the family. It's been a long time coming, and I'm excited to finally launch the podcast, kicking it off with our very first episode. Now, last week officially marked one year as a practicing clinician for me. And so it seems only fitting that we do a one-year recap, a 2023 wrapped, if you will, introduce a little bit about me and what has led us to this point, the launch of The Graduate Dentist and what it's all about. And so let's take a trip back down the timeline. I was born and raised in Melbourne and did my undergrad with a Bachelor of Biomedicine at Melbourne Uni, before moving up to Sydney to then do four years of postgraduate dentistry at the University of Sydney. I then continued to make my way further up north to sunny Brisbane, which is where I am now, working four and a half days in private practice. This year, I'm officially entering my second year of dentistry. For me, like many people who I've spoken to, I think I fell into dentistry. It was never my first choice when I graduated and finished year 12, but after completing biomed, it somehow became my one choice. We're going to get to know each other really well, and perhaps we'll talk about this in a lot more depth in future episodes. But I plotted through my first few years of dental school without much thought for my career ahead. It really wasn't until my third year of dental school when I began speaking with and interviewing other dentists that I began to see the full world of dentistry. You see, we go through dental school in quite the sheltered bubble, right? And it's not until we venture out of that that we truly see the full depths of the sea and the myriad of opportunities it has to offer us. Dentistry is an occupation at the end of the day. It's a particular skill set. But it also opens the doors to so many other avenues, and that's what gets me excited. Whilst many may think we just drill and fill all day, the reality is no two dentists are really the same. Whether it be in the way they practice, the way they communicate, the way they express themselves, the particular interests that they pursue, and the skills that they hone. Whether they decide to specialise or pursue practice ownership, go into teaching, research, product manufacturing. You could become a rep for a company, write your own book, become a life coach, start your own software company, pursue an MBA, make scrubs, you name it. Somewhere out there, there's a dentist doing it. Me? I guess I chose podcasting. <laughs> As I finished dental school and throughout my first year of practice, I came to realise that whilst I really do enjoy dentistry, the clinical practice and seeing patients, prepping a tooth in all its seven times magnified glory, there's also the other side that loves to create, being part of the community and helping shape the way our generation learns and perceives dentistry. And so when I'm not in clinic, seeing patients of my own, I get to be behind the mic, interviewing and chatting with dentists and thought leaders in our industry, picking their brains and asking the million and one questions I wish I knew. I get to write blogs on mental well-being and I get to help out at events and CPD courses. 
I get to speak with students at universities to share my experience as a new grad. And last year, I was even lucky enough to be asked to MC the Dental Practice Owners Conference in Melbourne. And at all of these events, I get to meet so many fascinating people, from students to new grads to practice owners and specialists, dentists and all their weird and wacky and wonderful forms that we mentioned before, and be inspired by them. These are the things that really get me, and I want you guys to see it and to feel it too. To find what intrigues and motivates you, I want us to realise that as new grads, we are just at the very beginning of what is such a thrilling stage in our career. Terrifying, yes, but so very exciting. And it is from this bubble of excitement and possibility that the graduate dentist was born. The Graduate Dentist combines the things that I really care about. One, the desire to continuously learn and upskill and level up as a clinician. Two, creating content that is fun and digestible and relatable. And three, nurturing the relationships with those around us. The Graduate Dentist will be a multifaceted platform. With long-form podcasts like this one, where I'll be bringing on dentists to talk about their journey in dentistry, particularly their early years as a new grad, where we share both advice and perspectives on real-world dentistry, the hard lessons they've had to learn over the years, and the tips they have for students and new grads just starting out. I also want to share clinical-based short video tips and tricks on our socials. How to tie a floss tie? When do we need a space maintainer? How on earth do I do IDS? These are the million daily questions that I pester my senior colleagues about day in, day out. And I want a place where we can document these so that one, I can remember them, but two, it can hopefully provide value to someone else out there as well. And so if you're not ready, be sure to check us out on Instagram at The Graduate Dentist and at Dr. Erica Huynh. And lastly, I want The Graduate Dentist to be a proper community. Not just the number of listeners or followers, silent scrolls and anonymous posts, although if you'd rather do that, that's totally okay too. But I want to properly unite us graduates with in-person meetups. And so please let me know if this is something you'd be interested in. And let's make it happen. You see, when we graduate, we go from being surrounded by friends, having a built-in and guaranteed support system, to being on our own. If there's one thing I miss from uni, it's the lunchroom rant sessions. You know, it doesn't matter how awful of a clinical session you have, you know that as soon as you push open those double doors to the common room, you'll be met with a raucous of just chit-chat and gossip where everyone's debriefing their crazy clinic stories and you know you'll have people to sympathize with your struggles and celebrate your successes with you. But when you go into private practice, when you're working alone, perhaps somewhere far away rural, or you're in a practice with seasoned dentists who are so good at what they do, it can be really isolating. And I hear this from other graduates all the time. You might think it's silly, but I think a lot of us fall into the hustle mentality when we graduate, where we need to put our heads down and focus on work, work, work at the sacrifice of other things in our lives. But I think that's most definitely a one-way ticket to burnout. There is so much going on when you first graduate. Everyone talks about the dentistry and the clinical side of things, but I think one thing we often forget and neglect to discuss is the lifestyle changes that come with it, not just specifically to dentistry, but to beginning full-time work and officially becoming an adult. Yes, that means an income. A lot of people move out of home and interstate and that means bills to pay and incurring debt. There's the social aspect of working in a professional environment, contracts 
so many things that previously you never had to consider all whilst trying to work full time doing something where every action every step every procedure all of that takes up so much mental capacity because it's not muscle memory yet i remember in my first few months being so overwhelmed and overstimulated that i just felt both mentally physically socially and emotionally drained by it all These are all things that with time and experience, we surprisingly quickly learn to adapt to. And when you talk to senior colleagues, it can be easy for them to forget how stressful those little things were when they first began. When you leave uni, you lose that spontaneity of post-clinic feeds and catch-ups with your friends. Now trying to organize a meetup means planning something months in advance when you're trying to line up everyone's different work schedules. How do you make new friends when you leave uni? Do you really make friends at those once-off CPD courses? And so who do you turn to to talk to? I say this because I've had too many conversations with too many new grads who feel lost, alone and unguided. And so I want the graduate dentist to be that community for us, a place where we can openly share our stories, struggles and experiences. So leave your egos and comparisons at the door because we're not about that. I don't care how many crown preps you've done or whether you're on salary or commission. This isn't the place to compare or brag or one-up one another, but rather I want to foster a safe space, an environment where silly questions are our favourite kinds of questions and we strive towards a common goal of becoming excellent clinicians together. Too often do we see anonymous posts on Facebook forums from young clinicians feeling like a failure because they can't do this or they can't do that. How many of us are quietly lurking in the shadows of Instagram, looking at other people's beautiful preps and thinking, we're not good enough. We're not good enough. We're just not good enough. Perspective is an interesting thing. And I think a lot of the times when we're looking at dentistry, when we're looking at our own careers and our own progression, we're still looking at it through our loops and we just don't have enough perspective. Dentistry is hard. You're going to make so many mistakes. I've made so many mistakes and I anticipate I'll be making many more. It's part of the journey. It's part of learning. It's how we get better. And so I want to make it the norm to talk about that, not just showcasing the highlights reel, but the be real as well. So talk about the lessons and the journey and not feel the need to have to sugarcoat all our experiences. I read a post the other day where someone was saying that clinical excellence is a non-negotiable, and I agree with that wholeheartedly, it most definitely is. In fact, as I enter my second year and as I've grown more comfortable, that's most definitely become the goal. But clinical excellence doesn't appear out of nowhere. I wrote this in an article for DPL last year, that our goal as healthcare professionals entrusted with the care of our patients is to achieve the optimal outcome for them. But excellence is a product that takes time to harvest and cultivate. Crops don't magically flourish overnight and neither do our skills. It's the same for athletes, for chefs, for artists and for entrepreneurs. Upon graduation, this is something I had to really come to terms with and to temper my expectations. To realise I am not special, nor am I born with gifted hands. Like every clinician that came before me, dentistry is a skill that takes time patience, persistence, and a whole lot of hard work to master. And so it is okay if we don't get it right the first time. It's okay if it isn't the best and it's not perfect. It's okay if we make those mistakes so long as we learn from it, muster up the courage to try again and strive towards doing what's right. The only way we get better is by practice and by repetition, figuring out what our barriers are, what's stopping us, learning from what others do and trialing different techniques until you find what works well and comfortably in your own hands. Now, my work isn't phenomenal. I try my best, but there's always room for improvement. 
And what I want to do on The Graduate Dentist is to be comfortable sharing that with you in the hopes that we all learn together. It's our journey as graduate dentists. I often say to people that dental school is like the tutorial of a game, where you still get pop-up hints and suggestions when you're stuck, and if you die, you get revived immediately and brought back to the last spot that you were at. But it's not until you graduate that the real game begins, where the rest of the map is unlocked and you realise just how much unknown territory there is for you to explore, and you have no idea where to even begin. It's exciting, it's daunting, it's terrifying all at once, but it's a world of possibility that I am excited to begin exploring with you. There is so much to say and I can't possibly talk about it all at once in one episode. But for the rest of today's episode, what I want to do is to reflect on 2023, the year that was, my first year of private practice and the things that I learned. And I think the best way to do it is to divide it up into themes and disciplines and share one or two main takeaways from each. Consider a teaser for what's to come where we will take a deep dive into each one of these topics. And of course, I want you to be involved. So if there are particular topics, questions you'd love to explore, or guests you'd love to hear from, then shoot me a message and let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into our 12-month review. Starting off with lesson number one, of course, it's communication. Now, I think as students and as new grads, we underestimate both the importance and the difficulty of good and effective communication. It's one of those things like a good soundtrack in a movie that when done well, you don't notice the impact that it has, but without it, everything would fall apart. (laughs) I think Any senior dentist I have ever asked will always stress that the number one course that you should get yourself to as soon as you graduate is a communication course. Now, which communication course? It's a good question and I hate to say it, but I don't think there is a silver bullet answer to it. What I've come to realise throughout my time in dental school and in my first year of practice is that every time I shadow another dentist or I attend an online webinar or a fully structured CPD course on communication is that I walk away with one or two key take-home messages and lessons. Whether it be changing the slight nuances in how I ask a question, the types of questions to ask, a particular analogy to explain a complex concept or running through a certain checklist of points to remember the risks and complications or how a procedure is, certain word substitutions or a strategy to going through photos and cases together, I end up going back to my own room and trialling these things, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, seeing what feels authentic and natural to myself and something will stick. I realize now that I am such a patchwork amalgamation of all the people that I have listened to and how they talk to their patients, whether I realize it or not. From the moment I greet my patients in the waiting room, how I greet them, bringing them back into the room, the questions that I ask to get to know them and to dive deeper, how I present a case to them and offer them options and then run through risks and complications. If you were to ask me for every phrase that I ever use when talking to patients, I could probably trace it back to who I learnt from, when I learnt and how I made it my own. I think one of the best ways to improve how we communicate is by actively listening to others and emulating those who we admire. With time, we adapt it and make it our own. To this day, the way that I run through my exo risks and complications has been moulded by two of my favourite tutors back in uni. You're going to expect pain, bleeding, bruising, swelling and possible infection. The tooth might break and that's normal and okay if it does. It's a broken tooth after all and we wouldn't be removing it if it wasn't broken. 
I learned from Dr. Mehdi Rahimi to always, always, always blame the tooth. That the anatomy of a root canal system is complex. That we are working in microscopic fields with microscopic tools. And we may encounter defects along the way. I learned from my friend Pat to say that a root canal is our last-ditch effort to save a bad tooth. It doesn't always work. And if it doesn't, we have to be comfortable with the idea of potentially losing the tooth. I learned from my brother Paul to never ask, does this gap bother you? But rather ask, do you remember how you lost this tooth? Because rather than asking a close-ended yes or no question that usually ends in a no and ends the conversation, we are opening up a whole new can of worms of discussion to tap into previous dental history, experience and motivators. The list goes on and on and on and on. Every day I'm picking up new ways to better say things. And the more we say it, the more natural it becomes, the more it rolls off the tongue and the more effortless it is to talk through these complicated situations because as a new grad there's nothing harder than trying to sit there doing the mental gymnastics figuring out how to treatment plan a patient whilst figuring out what to say and more often than not what ends up happening is we end up going on tangents and rambling and spouting absolute gibberish because we have no idea what to say it doesn't come naturally to us our words have not been rehearsed and it is not muscle memory yet Plus, let's not forget the elephant in the room. As grads, suddenly, we have to talk about money with our patients too. But that's a topic for another day. (laughs) Communication is honestly one of my passion topics and I could go on and on and on about it. And we most definitely will cover it in future episodes. But the one other communication tip that I want to share in today's episode is the idea of under-promising and over-delivering. Again, a concept that every senior dentist will tell you to do. But I don't think I understood the true impact and the power this had until I started practicing. And actually not until I started encountering my own difficulties, challenges and barriers. You see, people always say to preempt things because if you say it beforehand, it's an expectation. Whereas if you say it afterwards, it's an excuse. I initially reserved this purely when discussing risks and complications. For example, when extracting teeth, warning them that there's a chance the root might break or not being able to find a calcified canal when doing endo and having to refer to a specialist. However, with time, I've learned to start preempting absolutely anything and everything, even if it might seem a little trivial. For all my new patient consults, I always walk my patients through everything that they can expect. I tell them that it's my first time meeting them and their teeth. And so today we'll be doing a really thorough and comprehensive examination, taking a lot of records and doing a lot of investigations, which include looking at all the teeth, assessing areas of decay, of wear, of large fillings where the tooth may be structurally compromised. We're looking at the gums and the gum health and their overall oral hygiene. We're assessing their jaw and how their bite comes together and the appearance of their teeth. We're going to be doing a lot of talking to get to know one another, along with some x-rays and a lot of photos as well. And so we may or may not get the chance to do a clean today, but if we don't, we'll do it at our next appointment. We're setting an expectation so that the patient, especially a new patient, isn't coming into the appointment blind and in the dark. That x-rays are a huge mouthful. That my numbing cream, unfortunately, doesn't taste very good, but it does help out a huge lot. So please stay nice and open and avoid swallowing, to which the patient will always then, on cue, swallow, be absolutely revolted and have a good laugh because they did the one thing I told them not to do. That what I'm putting on now is just the temporary crown until we have the proper crown back to cement. 
And so it is designed to be temporary. And I need to strike a fine balance between sticking it on well enough that it lasts those two to three weeks until they come back, but also not stick it on so well that I can't get it back off afterwards. And so there is a chance that it may come off prematurely. And if it does, that's okay. Please hold on to it. Call us back. And either I or one of the other dentists will be able to quickly pop it back on for you. What I have found is that more often than not, patients are extremely understanding and reasonable. And because they know what to expect, they're unlikely to blame me for it. So often have I had patients come back to see me and say things like, oh, yes, that root canal was a bit tender after we worked on it. Or yes, I did end up getting food stuck in that open contact. But you told me I would. I was doing a root canal the other day on a 2-4 on one of my all-time favorite patients. You know, the kind of patient that doesn't take life too seriously, is full of jokes and banter. And even when I have rubber dam on her, she'll still be lying there tapping away on her phone so that she can continue talking to me and giving me running commentary throughout the appointment. Now, the other day we were working on this 2-4, which was just being very unpredictable for us. My apex locator was not giving me accurate readings. When I took my radiograph, I was way out the apex and I was struggling to get to the correct length. We were trying to figure out if it was one canal, if it was two canals, if it was one joining into two or two joining into one. I told my patient I wasn't particularly confident in her tooth. Footnote, notice the wording of this phrase because we're going to come back to this. To which she said, yeah, you don't seem very optimistic about it. And I said to her, honestly, I'm not. We can give it a go, but there's a chance that if it doesn't work, she may be better off seeing a specialist with their microscopes and their expertise to try tackling it. And so my patient sat there tapping away again on her phone, typing me a message and showing me her note, which said, you know what? I appreciate that you are honest. That's why I like coming to see you. And honestly, if the tooth isn't playing nice, then just rip the bugger out. (laughs) And so we continued working on the tooth and both of us sat there praying as we watched the final radiograph come through and it was perfectly obturated right to the apex. And she told me, I have no idea what you're doing, but I am proud of you. (laughs) And I think that's something important to remember, that patients don't understand how complicated dentistry is. They only know what we tell them. And so if a tooth is difficult, if it's not playing nice, if it is tricky, if it's unusual, I have learned to tell my patients that. As grants, because we don't have that level of experience yet, and aren't quite confident in our own skill set, we often feel the need to overcompensate and downplay scenarios because we don't want the patient to worry or to doubt our abilities. We'll say that it's just a little feeling or it's just a little crack, that everything will be okay. And I used to do this as well. But what I quickly realized is that by downplaying situations, or trying to sugarcoat it to lessen the blow to a patient, I would end up digging myself into a hole or it would come back and bite me in the backside when the filling didn't end up being small and it needed a root canal or if they ended up coming back in pain. I mentioned before that a real key mentality shift for me was rather than not being confident in my own skills, I've learned to flip the narrative so that it is that I'm not confident in this tooth for XYZ reasons which make it difficult and therefore better off in the hands of a senior dentist or a specialist. What I've learned as a grad is recognizing and being comfortable in our own limitations, accepting that certain things will take us longer because we're not as adept at it just yet. And by recognizing this, being honest about it, And forewarning a patient of these expectations, it ends up saving us a lot of heartache and grief. 
Now, tying in really intimately with communication is photography, which brings me to lesson number two. Now, again, this is just a small teaser for a much bigger topic. I am by no means a camera guru at all. (laughs) My brother, Paul Quinn, who you guys are sure to meet and hear a lot from on the podcast, is an absolute wizard when it comes to photography and he helped me with my camera setup. And so if you guys are interested in future episodes, we can go through camera specs and setups and whatnot. But essentially, all I do is point and shoot. (laughs) But my biggest lesson and takeaway with regards to photography, again, tying in intimately with communication, is this concept of social proofing. Now, this is something that we talked about briefly over on my Instagram page at Huynh late last year. But social proofing is something that Paul taught me very early on, but it has taken me time to implement myself through my own experiences and building up my own portfolio of cases. Now, you can do the same thing using Google Images or using other people's photos, but personally, I don't feel it's as authentic or as impactful compared to using your own cases. Now, what is social proofing? It's essentially a influencing factor when it comes to decision making, much like how we would never go to a restaurant or go to the doctors or buy something online without checking all its reviews first. The same thing applies when it comes to dentistry. People tend to ask for advice and for confirmation before doing something for themselves, especially if it's something that they're unsure of or haven't experienced before. So how does photography help with this? Well, as we develop a portfolio of cases that we've done, we're able to show these to patients to help explain a concept 10 times more effectively than by giving them this whole lecture about it or drawing complicated diagrams, pulling out textbooks and whatnot. I like to explain this in the concept of crowns because personally, I've noticed that that's where it's helped me the most. But it's the same for fillings, for root canals, for dentures and smile makeovers. Whether it be single tooth or a full mouth rehab, the same concept applies. So what I do is that whenever I'm doing a procedure, I try to take photos beforehand, maybe one or two mid-procedure and then of it afterwards. And I do this for as many patients as I can. And so the next time I have another patient come in and we're doing their exam and we're looking at the photos together on the computer and we start going through our treatment options, talking about the pros and cons of either or, the cost of it, how things work, and they ask me, what would I do? The conversation usually naturally flows into, hey, you actually remind me of another one of my patients I saw recently in a similar situation. Can I show you some photos of their case? We'll then bring up photos of that patient's case. And now you can de-identify it or change their name, keep it anonymous. But the ensuing conversation may go something along the lines of, you remind me of my patient D. She was also really anxious when she came in to see us, but she had a broken tooth that was cutting into her tongue and really bothering her. Now, much like you, she's had this big silver filling on a tooth that she had ages ago when she was a kid with the school dentist. As you can see in her photo, similarly to yours, it's also had a lot of cracks and is starting to fail on us. And so what we decided to do for Dee is take apart the tooth. We saw how deep the cracks went and actually found decay underneath her silver filling as well. And so we built the tooth back up and we braced it with a crown, which essentially acts like a helmet on top of her tooth to prevent it from further decay and breakdown. Now, how has this helped me? 
Dental treatment can sound really scary and confusing to patients, especially when we're just giving them a lecture and talking through all the consequences and all the risks and complications, and they're struggling to visualize it all in their head. By showing them a case, photos before, during and after, it gives them something actually tangible to see and to understand what they're getting themselves into. You see, fear comes from the unknown. And so when we're unsure about something, when we're scared of it, then our body naturally gravitates towards saying no and avoiding it. However, with knowledge comes power. And so with knowledge, patients are able to make a better informed decision, whether they decide to go ahead with it or not. Another benefit that I have noticed is that patients can feel really disheartened hearing about all their problems. It can leave them feeling helpless, at a loss and more inclined to just throw the towel in and give up. But this gives them hope and optimism that something good can be done because they're seeing someone else who was in a very similar situation to them who has ended up with a positive outcome. As an extension of that, by telling them the story of someone that was in their shoes, they don't feel as alone in their experiences. And that's why I found having my own portfolio of cases to be more impactful because I know these patients, I know their stories and the ins and outs of them, and I can find cases that are indeed similar to them. As people, we gravitate towards other people's stories. That's what we connect to. And so by sprinkling in these threads, it gives the patient opportunities to latch onto things depending on what speaks to them and their own situation, whether it be that, hey, they too are also really dentally anxious or they've also got a really annoying ulcer on their tongue or yes, they also had these big ugly silver fillings done at the school dentist back in the day when they didn't use anaesthetic. They say a photo tells a thousand words and it is indeed a really simple tool that helps immensely with explaining, educating and ultimately empowering a patient. Now, following on from talking about crowns, lesson number three is indeed on prosthodontics. Now, I spent my first six months not really doing all that many indirect restorations and having spoken to a lot of other new grads, everyone's in a very different situation. There are some grads that are doing them straight out of uni in their first week, left, right and centre. There are other grads that are in their second and third year and have yet to find a case. Some people are limited by their practice for whatever reason. Others just personally don't feel up to it yet. What I noticed for myself and noticed as a common trend, having spoken to friends and colleagues, is that straight out of uni, we leave being so ingrained with the concept of minimally invasive dentistry. And we've also been indoctrinated with this fear of over-treating. Yes, we have those ethical and moral nightmares of being sued for being that dentist that does a root canal and a crown for all 28 virgin teeth. And so we leave uni with this mindset of being as conservative as we possibly can. And whilst I completely agree with it, I completely support what we were taught about the restorative staircase and each time we drill into a tooth, we are further condemning it. But what I've noticed is that our fear of overdiagnosing oftentimes results in us underdiagnosing. And I think that was very much the case for me, especially in my first six months. To be fair, it probably still is the case in certain scenarios as well. But what I've come to realize is that when I wasn't even offering 
an indirect option for a patient that come in with a broken tooth or a tooth with extensive decay or large restorations that had cracks radiating all throughout it. Not only was I doing them a disservice by not even offering the option to them, but rather building the tooth up with a 4-5 surface composite. What I didn't realize early on was that by doing that, I was potentially doing more damage than good. I used to always think that composite was the safer option. But it wasn't until one of my good friends, Anithia, explained it to me that it switched on a bit of a light bulb. And that was essentially that to build a four to five surface composite restoration up is actually really difficult. Not only do you have to ensure that your margins are sealed, that you have a good emergence profile, that your contacts are sound, that it is cleansable, and also that their occlusion is right. Occlusion is something that we barely scrape the surface of during uni and it is such an enigma to new grads. We all think we understand it, but the reality is we honestly know nothing about it. The more I see, the more I practice, the more I learn from our occlusion guru, Mentor Albert, the more I realize how baffling occlusion is. And so what do most of us do? We get the patient to bite by bite on articulating paper and then we remove all of the blue spots. Is it comfortable? Well, of course it is. The patient isn't biting on the tooth anymore. But if we continue to do that for every single tooth in this patient's mouth, then what do they end up biting on? Oftentimes we'll see older patients where this has happened to them, where all their teeth have been heavily restored in the past and now they have occlusal dysfunction. Again, topics for another day. The point being is that in order to build a restoration, handcraft it inside the mouth in a way that is perfect and optimal and ideal is really, really difficult. And that perhaps by doing an indirect restoration where we can design it outside of the mouth to ensure that we have ideal contacts both in between the teeth and between opposing teeth, then are we not creating a much better outcome for the patient? Just by simply understanding this meant that I felt a lot more comfortable with the idea of at least offering this to a patient as opposed to shying away from it entirely. And again, tying in with lesson number one and lesson number two by simply offering it to the patient, communicating, educating and empowering them, they can make the decision as to what they want to do. Following on from that, lesson number four is restorative. Now, all I can say about restorative is despite it being our bread and butter daily dentistry, I would argue that it's actually really difficult. I see a lot of students and new grads discounting and underestimating the complexity of doing a good restoration, but there are so many factors that go into it. Starting from number one, detecting caries on a bite wing, which is hard to do. I remember being in my first couple of months and there being days where I would just sit at the computer opening up one of my other senior colleagues' patient files with their treatment plan and bringing up the patient's bite wings and sitting there comparing their bite wing to the restorations that the dentist had charted. Because when you first start and you haven't seen these things enough, it can be really hard to know what exactly you're looking for. Two, Caries removal and ensuring that we're removing it entirely. How much do we remove? How much is too much to remove? And let's not even get started on every new grad's nightmare. Pulpal exposures, bonding protocols, matrix systems, 
layering your composites and sculpting anatomy. We might think it's simple initially, but it's not until you start seeing your six-month recalls or your 12-month recalls and you start seeing those old restorations coming back with residual decay that you didn't remove entirely or shonky-looking anatomy and contacts that you can't floss through or stained margins that you realise that fillings are most certainly not to be underestimated. This is something that I'm still struggling with and still learning, and it's one of the topics that I want to tackle early on in the podcast. And so stay tuned, we're going to dive into this in a lot more detail, bringing on some of our favourite experts in the industry to really break it down. And so moving on to lesson number five, everyone's favourite, endo. In my first six months, I don't think there was any other procedure that made me want to cry more than endo did. I remember being in my first month and having my first lower molar endo come to me, thinking that, you know what, I've got this, I've done it before in uni, I know what to do, being overly confident, and then it ended up perforating through the pulpal floor. Shortly after that, I had a patient with a 4-5 with deep decay, which we restored but ended up turning into irreversible pulpitis which we then had to go in and extirpate. And during my extirpation phase, I was so confused at what I was looking at because it was so hyperemic. I remember this being the one time last year that I literally had nightmares about this tooth, wondering, did I perforate it? Can you perforate it? Waking up in the middle of the night to literally Google lower premolar pop chamber anatomy and dreading going to work on Monday morning, expecting that I was going to have an angry voicemail or a call from the patient. Thankfully, the patient was all right, and thanks to the wonderful help and expertise of my mentor, Dr. Kim, we finished the root canal for him, and this patient is another one of my really good patients that I get to joke around with all the time and have a good laugh with. But those two experiences within my first two months, along with a couple others where for some reason I was really struggling with using my endo rin holder, made me really, really anxious to do endo again. And I swore that I wasn't going to touch any molar endos. I was strictly only going to treat single canal, patent, easy to do anterior teeth. Ironically, right after this happened with this patient, my last patient of the day came in with a toothache and it just so happened to also be the 4-5. <laughs> but I stuck with that mentality of just deciding to temper my expectations, go easy on myself, start with the basics, get those fundamentals down pat, be familiar with using my equipment. That was my biggest lesson in endo was knowing how to use my apex locator accurately, learning different techniques to taking radiographs, understanding my rotary settings and systems. And after a few successful cases that built my confidence back up, around August and September, I went through an entire month of treating lower molar endos. And what's even crazier than that is that during those appointments, there were moments where I actually found myself in my little zen zone where it was actually peaceful. I actually learned to appreciate sitting there working under a rubber dam, just filing away with no hair pieces going off, listening to music, and actually being in a state of calm and composition and actually enjoying doing the root canal, which a few months prior, I would have never, ever even dreamed of. 
on the flip side of the coin, I feel like I've had the entirely opposite experience when it comes to oral surgery, which brings me to lesson number six. Choose your battles wisely and have a game plan. When I graduated, I thought I was going to be such a gun when it came to extractions. And perhaps that was falsely fueled by my dental school experience where all the teeth I ever took out were periodontally compromised. And so I remember going into private practice and being really excited to do extractions and to get good at it. One of the biggest lessons that I had to learn early on was how to use a surgical hairpiece. Because all through dental school, we were only ever taught to extract teeth with forceps. Even luxators were a no-no. And so I had to learn to how to actually use one. But what I've come to realize is that even though I wanted to get good at surgical extractions, I still wasn't all that prepared to do them. Even though in my head, I had a plan of luxate it for five minutes if it doesn't move, decoronate it, section it, if that's still not budging, raise a fab, remove bone. Even though that surgical plan was there, I found myself really hesitating to move on to that next step. And would end up just digging around with my luxator, getting myself into an even stickier situation when things would snap or break. And then I would be at a loss of how to troubleshoot. Aside from, once again, calling for the help from the wonderful Dr. Kim working in the room next door, who would then come to the rescue and save the day. What I didn't realize and underestimated when it came to oral surgery is how much physics comes to play. That it's not just shoving your luxator in, but being thoughtful about your placement of it and the motions you're doing and the amount of apical drive you have. There is so much finesse to it combined with precise force. And so unlike endo, extractions have become something that I enjoy less than what I initially thought. But again, we have the same plan of going back to basics, starting off with simple cases with the right patients and slowly building that confidence back up again. For the last few topics, I want to whiz through these with a bit of a speed round. Perio does indeed exist and is not a myth and perio treatment does work. For peds, my biggest lesson was learning and mastering the art of distraction and always focusing on the positives. I used to always be scared of treating kids and hurting them and making them upset and cry. But what I've learned to do is to praise lavishly and if they do get upset then to acknowledge it but don't dwell on it. Move on quickly and focus on the positives and they will too. Kids can be really stressful and a lot to work with at times but I've also found that some of my favourite patient experiences and interactions have been with my paediatric patients. Getting a really anxious little girl to open up and enjoy coming to the dentist or a really hyperactive little boy to sit still and cooperate. It can definitely be really fulfilling. In terms of ortho and implants, All I will say is that we are at the beginning of a very long career ahead of us and you don't have to learn it all at once. And the last topic that I do want to talk a little bit more about is working with your auxiliary staff. This is one of those things that no one prepares you for because we often fixate on the clinical side of dentistry. But as a dentist, it's not just you that is treating the patient. We are just one wheel of the vehicle that drives the patient's experience. As a new grad, having a DA, especially one that has been at the practice and has been in dental longer than you have, is an absolute godsend in your initial months. 
They are the ones that are with you chairside. They know where things are. They know what to do even without you telling them to do it. They know the procedures and the steps. Especially as a new grad where you're practicing for the very first time on your own and you're in a new and unfamiliar environment where all you want to do is just fit in. Your DA will teach you so much about what is the norm, what the other dentists do and what options, materials and equipment you have at your disposal. But as my boss tells me, there is a balance between being a pushover and being a jerk. And somewhere in the middle is the sweet spot of being assertive. Now, it can be hard to be assertive when you first begin because you don't even know what kind of dentist you want to be. When I first started, if I was told this is what the other dentists do or none of the other dentists do that, I would go with it. But with time, with experience, as you develop your own competence and confidence, you start to know what you want and how you like it. And what I'm now learning is how to communicate that with my DAs, especially now where I'm not a complete newbie. And there are times where I'm actually paired up and working together with new DAs that haven't had any experience in dental before. And so the role of training them now falls to me. And in that, we end up learning a lot more about leadership than we would think. How to give feedback to someone positively, how to lead by example. I was reading a post the other day where the dentist was talking about how the efficiency of his appointment was based on how little he had to talk to his DA. And what he meant by that was that they had worked on becoming so in sync that he didn't need to tell his DA what to grab or what the next step was. And the DA didn't have to keep running out of the room to go grab something. And there was just this level of intuition that was present. One of my biggest challenges that I found was that, especially when I got stressed and I was so fixated on the clinical dentistry that I was performing, is that I would stop communicating to my DA and just expect them to read the room, read the situation and read my mind, which is impossible to do. And so what I've learned and I'm learning to do is just to stop what I'm doing and to take that time to actually recalibrate with one another. Spending an extra two minutes before bringing the patient in to make sure that we have everything that we need, as opposed to having to run out the room 10 times mid-appointment or spending some time after the appointment to debrief on things that could be done differently. It makes it a whole lot less stressful for everyone involved which means we're more likely to run on time, which means we're more likely to have lunch, and so everyone is happy. And so with that, that officially brings us to the end of our 2023 recap with all the lessons that we have learned throughout the year. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. I really hope you've gained something from this episode and that you've enjoyed it. And if you have, don't be a stranger. Please send me a message and let me know. Tell me your thoughts, your own experiences, any questions you may have or any suggestions you have for future episodes. I honestly want this to be an interactive community and so I'd love to hear what you have to say. We've got an exciting lineup of guests we'll be interviewing and releasing episodes Monday fortnightly so stay tuned and we'll see you then. <laughs>